So, y'all, we are going to finish up our study on, in Philippians, the four chapters, this whole epistle that we have been on. And uh, the Lord has truly blessed it. There's been a theme. There's been a thought, more than one, but there's been joy. And joy would be the overriding theme of the whole epistle, but it's really joy in the midst of, and you fill in the blank, joy in the midst of persecution, joy in the midst of, of prison, joy in the midst of uh, you know, frailties in our body and so forth. It's joy and rejoicing in the Lord in all things, okay, and being thankful. There's a couple of themes, and there's unity that, that Paul is beseeching the Philippian believers to walk in unity and so forth. But we're going to close with this tonight. So you can open me, with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Now, before we read it, we're going to cover the last from 19 through 23, which will finish out this epistle. Keep your spot marked there. We're going to turn all the way back to Genesis. We're going to start our study in Genesis tonight. Turn to Genesis 22. This is when the Lord had uh, tempted it was not an attempt to sin. It was a trial of his faith, the testing of his faith. The Lord tested Abraham late in life. Late, uh, you know, it had been promised the, the, the promised child of Isaac, who the Lord did give him. He waited 25 years for that child after the, the promise was made to him and Sarah. He was 100 years old. She was 90. And so he finally has the promised child. The promised child is now his, and he loves him, and I'm not sure exactly how old he was, uh, probably a teenager about this time or early teens or something like that. But it says it came to pass in, in chapter 22, verse 1, it came to pass that after these things that God did tempt, and that is not tempting to sin, it is simply a trial, a severe trial, but it was a testing of his faith. God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. He said, Take now thine only son, thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there. Don't just dedicate him to the Lord. Offer him there for a burnt offering. That means he has to die, and he has to die at Abraham's hands upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And so we're not going to read the whole story. You know it so well, but in the morning, Abraham wakes up, he saddles his donkey, and he takes off with, his, with uh, Isaac, and he's walking in obedience to the Lord. Well, as he's, he's, he's got the, uh, Abraham um, Isaac tied up to the altar and going to be offered up as a burnt offering, he has the knife raised up above him, and the Lord calls to him. And the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay your son, your hand on the boy. Now that I know, I know you love me now, I know you fear me. You haven't withheld your son, your only son. He says, oh, I'm going to bless you now. In blessing, I'm going to bless. Amen. And, and so look what it says in verse 13 and 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. I said this, and I've hunted a lot in my life. I've been outdoors a lot in my life. I've never just seen an animal stuck just out in a natural, its natural habitat. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, and maybe you have, but it's, it's, it's a miracle is what took place because at the moment God spares his son from being the sacrifice, there's a lamb that's going to be offered in his stead 
or in his place. The type of Christ is, is all over this. But it's a real account. Abraham lifted up his eyes and, and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. And as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord our provider, the Lord will provide. The names of God mean something. We say it all the time. The names of God mean something because it's a way by which he is revealing himself to men. And as you start in Genesis, just like a historical account, reading through God's from creation and God's dealings with man, as you go through and see him dealing with different people, he reveals himself by different names. And here he, uh, God, Abraham called the Lord Jehovah Jireh. Now, keep that in mind. And turn back to Philippians <coughs> chapter 4. We're going to read 19 through 23. Our, our focus for the most part is going to be on verse 19. Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so we started in Genesis because this verse 19, uh, this is another very well-known verse. Just like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what Paul has learned. He learned to be content. He learned uh, both how to be hungry and to be full, how to abound and, to, and to, to suffer the loss of things. He learned it. He learned it in the school of Christ, as we said. He learned it by walking with Jesus. He didn't le learn it from books. He knew the scriptures. The word of God was real to him. He hid it in his heart like David that he wouldn't sin against the Lord. But he learned these things not by reading the account of Abraham and Isaac. He learned it by experience. He says, my God shall supply all your need. And this is how, this is how we learn. You know, we learn by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. He is our teacher who teaches us and leads us into all truth. The Holy Ghost, as we shared a few weeks ago in our series on truth, is the spirit of truth. And he takes what's of Christ and reveals it and makes it known to men. We would not know it otherwise. We could read the books and know some historical facts, and we could believe it or not believe it. But we're going to know Christ by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. We're going to know the things of God and the deep things of God. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, what man knows the Spirit, uh, you know, wh wh who can know the things of God but the Spirit of God? And the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Their foolishness neither to him, neither can he know them, because they're spiritually discerned. But we have the mind of Christ, it says in that chapter. And the Holy Ghost takes the things and reveals them. And this is what Paul had learned. He learned in a prison cell more than once. He learned when he was beaten with uh, stripes upon his back and beaten with rods and so forth and shipwrecked and stoned and left and for dead in different places. He learned that God is faithful. He learned that the Lord Jehovah Jireh is his Jehovah Jireh and provider. 
And so what, what Paul is, he's trying to encourage the Philippians. Remember, it's kind of funny or interesting that the one that's in prison, the one that's in chains, the one that's bound up and doesn't know his fate at that moment, what's going to come from that, he's, he's like, cheer up, cheer up, Philippians. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you how faithful God is. Let me, and they're, he's encouraging them. You ever want to be in, uh, encouraged yourself? You ever want to be ministered to yourself? Minister to others. You ever want to be lifted up and refreshed and strengthened in your fatigue? Go minister to somebody in Jesus' name. Pick up the phone and pray with someone and, or reach out to them and counsel them or tell them about Jesus and see how the Lord doesn't begin to refresh you and strengthen you. Meet your needs. It is a fact the Lord does that. Amen? Given it shall be given unto you. And so he's, you, he's saying to the Philippians, basically, you have shown your love in giving to God and the things of God. He knew it firsthand because they had given to him, right? I have all. I've received the gift that you sent by the hand of Epaphroditus. I don't lack anything here. And he, I think it's in light of this, or I know it is in light of their giving that he says God is going to take care of you. That's really what he's saying in verse 19. We quote it all the time, and usually... I would say 99% of the time we look at that verse, it's about money. And I do, without question, I think it, it, it includes money. But I don't think that's the only thing. It wasn't, it wasn't money that uh, Abraham needed when he was about to offer up Isaac. Amen? He needed God to spare Isaac and offer, he needed a ram to offer instead. It's not always just money. But he says, because you, you've learned, you Philippians have learned to love, You've learned to give. You've learned to give towards the things of God. And you've been faithful in that and done it with a pure heart. I'm confident my God is going to supply all of your needs. And we, It's important that we take, I know that you know this, but that we take scriptures in context. What is the whole chapter saying? He's saying, I've learned to be content. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's learned to be hungry and, and so forth. He's been taught these things. He praised and admonished these believers for their giving to him in his time of need. And I think it's based on these things that he's saying, God's going to take care of you. My God is going to supply all of your needs. God is going to certainly provide for you. Not that God can supply all of your needs. See, this is faith and this is confidence. My God shall supply all of your needs. He's absolutely going to do it. It's not a question of can he do it. He's going to do it. My God is going to supply all your need according to his riches and glory. And so the God of all grace and mercy is going to abundantly provide for you. Amen. As we faithfully give. I think it's important. We can't just live any way we want and then say I'm going to claim that promise. It's like any promise in the Bible. I'm going to live any way I want. I'm going to live selfishly. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to live out of God's will, looking at other scriptures in the, in the whole Bible. And, but I want to cherry pick this scripture and say, I want God to meet my needs right now. You know, you, you probably have, and this is not at all being cold or callous, but in my years of ministry, I've had a lot of people call I've had a lot of people come to me and knock on the door. I've had, met a lot of people out street witnessing. Uh, and they want, they don't want Jesus, but they want some money. And they think that the church is that to give to them. Now, we are to help the needy and poor. But if I'm given something from myself or from 
the church from the believers that they have given in their tithes and offerings, I'm going to have to really be led by the Lord in that. I don't just throw a check out there. People call, hey, do you all pay people's light bill? Now, time out. I, said, I always say, we're a church. This is, you, you know you call it a church. We, we preach the gospel. We, we live for God. The Lord's called us. Can I pray for you? Can I help you in some way? This is a church that you call. And so I always want to be able to share the gospel with people in those opportunities. I, I don't think that we just are to be foolish. We need to, we, and that's where we have to really be led by the Lord. Because we don't want to be cold-hearted, certainly. And we don't want to turn people away in need. But they'll, they'll say, well, the church is supposed to help me. You know? They, they, they believe that. The church, is, they don't want Jesus. They don't want to be helped from their sin and receive the gift of eternal life. They want their light bill paid for one more month. So their power isn't turned off. This is not everybody. This is so many that I've met over the years. And always, and I'm sure you're the same way, you would always want to share Jesus with them and say, you know, you don't have to live this way. We're going to help you. We're going to give you $200 for that electric bill. We are. We're going to do that. A lot of times I'll tell them that right at the beginning so they can stop begging and don't stop fretting. And now we're going to give it to you. Now can I talk to you for a minute? Can I tell you that you don't have to live this way? Because there's always a long, long story, and I'm not saying it. maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, maybe it's half true, you know, but the long story of why they are in the situation that they're in. But I can tell them a scripture, first, that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and he has a purpose and plan for their life if they'll surrender everything to him. But I can also give them a scripture that says, uh, I was young, now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's seed begging bread. It's not being cold-hearted. That's telling me that David said that. I've been young and old, but I've never seen the people that are righteous and follow after the Lord begging for the needs to be met. Doesn't mean they don't have tough times or hard times. So there is something that they're missing. They're missing Christ. They're missing the big picture. And I don't want them in almost, unfortunately, it's a pattern that's just repeated in their lives. They'll get the money. They don't care really if they get it from this church or another church or, or from a church at all. They just, a lot of times, just want that immediate need met. That's not what G, the Lord's talking about in Philippians 4.19. He's taking the whole thing in context about as we give to the things of God and are faithful. It doesn't mean we're perfect and sinless. But as we learn Christ and walk with Christ and, are, and we have a heart to help people and Christians that are bound up in prison and so forth, He's going to take care of our needs. Not he can, not only that he's able, but he shall. Because the Bible says he is and he is a rewarder. Amen? Your father would see it in secret, shall reward you openly. Again, there, there are parameters, okay, or conditions to the, a lot of these promises of God. The grace of God is a free gift. There's no strings attached other than we receive. Receive the grace of God. Receive Christ. As Savior and Lord. We believe upon the Lord. But there are strings, not strings attached. There are conditions for many promises. And I would say most promises in the Bible. That are wonderful and glorious. And they're true. But there are conditions upon them being met. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's the second half? I know that you know it. 
and all these things. Isn't these things what we're talking about? Food, clothing, shelter. All these things the Gentiles fret after. The unbelieving world seeks after and clamors after how they're going to meet those needs for themselves. But your father knows that you have need of these things before you even ask him. So just listen. It's almost like me telling them, hey, we're going to give you what you need. But can I tell you more? You don't have to live this way. And Jesus is saying, your father knows that you have need of these things before you ask him. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do we do that? Seek first. That first is first in every way. Before all else, more than all else, to the exclusion of all else, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. What a promise. It is a promise. There's a promise with a condition. Not living for God. We may be a Christian, a carnal Christian, in and out of serving the Lord, living like we want to for the most part, and saying, well, God's not supplying my needs. He's not adding these things to me. But we're not seeking first his kingdom because he will. And he, he gives, he supplies, Paul says, our, our needs according to his riches in glory. Riches here means abundant fullness. It means possessing all things. This is the actual definition. His riches means possessing all things. It means an inexhaustible supply. I mean, what, of what could you say that, or who could you say that, that they have an inexhaustible supply? The richest people in the world don't have an inexhaustible supply. It, there is a finite amount to what they have, but his riches in glory are inexhaustible. Heaven's storehouse is inexhaustible. It can't be wasted. It can't be all spent up. It can't be used up. Amen? And they're supplied, he says, at the end of that, from by his rich, according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. Every good thing comes to us through Christ. That's God's means. It's like it's funneled to us through our knowledge of Christ, through the Lord, that all the blessings are in Christ Jesus. And I know we quote it all the time, but if God spared not his own son but offered him up for us all, how shall he not also, also with him freely give us all things? It's, it's according to his riches and glory. The blessings and, and our needs being met, the riches of his glory, it comes to men by Christ. Salvation comes by Christ. The needs are met. That's God's way. That's the way he's chosen for it to be, that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that we might know the things, the Bible says, that are freely given to us in Christ. They're freely given to us. We have to know them. We, we receive them by Christ and through Christ. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is where? From above. It cometh down for the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It's his. So his storehouse is exhaustible. He gets them to us through Christ. That's how he gets them to us. The healings, he gets them to us through Christ. The peace in our hearts and minds, he gets that blessing to us through Christ. Amen. Amen. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. He has an inexhaustible storehouse. And so regardless of what we face and regardless of what we need, all comes to us through Jesus. So that's who is real simple. And I'm glad I like things simple. The world's confusing enough. Life can be troubling and confusing enough and uncertain and unsure. 
all these confidences that we have in Christ and in his promises that are yea and amen. It's in Christ, they're yea and amen. Amen? The promises of God. And so regardless of what we have need of or we're going through, the need is met through Christ. It comes no other way. Amen? We have no other mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. One go-between. Amen? It's the Lord. And so whatever we, uh, we face, it, it's going to come through us through Christ. The need will be met. Now, verse 19, and I know I said it, but I'm going to touch on it and then move on. When we look at it, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's not an excuse, as I said, or not, not some uh, rubbing a bottle and a genie comes out and grants us three wishes. It has to do with walking with the Lord, knowing God. Paul says he's my God. He needs to be your God. Amen. And we find the faithfulness of God. We taste and see that he's good. That's what the Bible says. It's not, well, I'm going to try this. I, I'll never forget. I know I've shared it before. But in, in Hunt Prison many years ago, we were doing walk in the grounds. We had the freedom with guards and stuff around us to go in, in and out of, of their dorm rooms. We had uh, certain parts of the prison. We'd meet them out on the basketball court, wherever they were, hanging out. And we could share the gospel with these guys. And so we're just sharing the gospel with people individually. Just walk up to a guy. And I walked up to this guy and I said, uh, hey, has anybody ever shared the gospel with you? I said, I'm a Christian and we're here for one reason. We're telling people about the, the love of the Savior and that he can save you. He said, I tried Christianity. I tried Jesus one time. That's what he told me. I tried Jesus one time. He says, now I'm a Muslim. And I said, well, you don't, you don't try Jesus. I don't know what you tried. You might have tried church. You might have joined the choir. You might have tried a Bible study. You know what I mean? But you, you don't try Jesus Christ. Everything in it, I said, you come to him and you die. And you give your life to him and he lives in you. That's not something you try. That's a new life. We die. I'm crucified with Christ. Amen. That's just salvation. That's not just the, the fuller walk kind of thing on down the road. That is, know you not in Romans 6 that you're dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You're not your own. 1 Corinthians, you've been bought with a price. That's just Christianity. So whatever he tried, and I think the world has that, a lot of people that we just try it. We don't just try, well, you know, I like that promise about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But they have no concept possibly of, of surrender to the Lord or repentance or anything like that. You, this verse 19 is not one of those. There's none of those actually in the Bible that you say, I'll claim the promise, but I don't want the life that goes with it. Uh, we're wasting our time. Everything about Christianity is, is about Christ. It's about you knowing him and me knowing him and honoring him and walking with him. Amen. So we don't go, we, even as a Christian that might be carnal, we don't go living selfishly, uh, you know, neglecting the things of God or giving to the things of God, whether it's our time, money, or both, and then say, I want God to make up for my unwise decisions. I want God to make up for my wasteful spending. And you said right here, Lord, you have to do it. We need to get, we need to understand. Take the whole chapter. Take the whole Bible. Back up and let the Holy Spirit teach us. Amen. He wants to supply our needs. He does. It's your good, your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's he, he's pleased to give. Amen. But he wants us to know him and walk with him and be selfless 
and dedicated to Christ and giving and have a heart to give and have give even out of our sacrificially out of our need. Amen. And so when we do that, God's going to provide for us. Absolutely to the man, to the child, to the circumstance he will provide. Nobody's going to be left out. Nobody will find themselves and say, you know, I did that and God didn't provide for me. I haven't heard anybody that walked with the Lord and said, you know, I found God to be very unfaithful. You ever met anybody that said that? No, I've never met anybody that said, I, you know, I did everything. I know Jesus. I walk with him. I'm filled with the spirit. And I found him to be very, very unfaithful. You're not going to find that. You'll never find that. Praise God. We're not going to find that. We won't find it in our own lives. Now, you'll notice that he does say, my God shall supply all your what? need and I know you know this as well but he doesn't say God will supply your every desire there are scriptures that talk about our desires like Psalm 27 delight thyself in the Lord he'll give you the desires of thine heart but this scripture right here is not saying that my God shall supply everything you want according to his riches and glory every whim every oh I think I'd like this today I think I'd like a swimming pool in my backyard and I'd like a this and I'd like a that and we just want it, you know, and we think, well, God's, God's got to do that. Obviously, that's not what is being spoken here, okay? It's not every whim is met. We have needs. Human beings are created with needs, okay? We have needs that need to be met. Lost people and saved people, okay? We have physical needs. We have social. That's why the Lord says the, your father knows you have need of these things. Physical needs the clothing, the shelter, and so forth, the food to eat. We have physical needs. We have social needs. We have economic needs. We have temporal needs that just have to do strictly with this life, okay? But we also have spiritual needs and eternal needs. Some know it and some, some people are blinded to it. But we have spiritual and eternal needs. One, one uh, commentary says we, we're in the need of perpetual pardon, we're in the need of perpetual peace. A lot of peace here. We're in the need of perpetual power from the Lord. And he supplies them according to his riches and glory, not according to my poverty or lack. It's nothing for the Lord. If we need a lot or need a little, it's nothing to the Lord. He doesn't supply it according to my poverty or lack. He, he supplies our needs according to his riches and glory, which are inexhaustible, as we said and so I was reading a quote from Hudson Taylor. He was, he was kind of talking about, I think people were questioning, like, how is all this work provided for? This huge world, global push of the gospel into mainland, inland China. And Hudson Taylor said, God's work carried on God's way will never lack resources. I believe that. God's work carried on God's way will never lack the resources to do that. Amen. And so uh, what we greatly need, he went on to say, what, what we need greatly to fear is not so much insufficient funds, but too much unconsecrated funds. We don't have to worry about not having enough. If God's called us to do it, somehow he will meet that need. George Mueller testifies. He meets it through his people. Honestly, that's the way the Lord meets it. He can meet it any way he chooses. But 
he says, we don't need to fear insufficient funds. Like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't have enough money. Uh, he says, we need to fear having too much material things that are not consecrated to the Lord, not dedicated to his service. And we got leftover stuff that's not given to the Lord. Amen. And so I think this is a, a very wise thought that he had there. And again, I think of George Mueller and others that really learned to live this way. And they found it doesn't mean there's not tight times. It doesn't mean there's times where you're not pushed to the, the last second and God meets the need. It means that God will never suffer the lack of need. It will always be provided. And God's timing, not ours. I know you, how many of you have read George Mueller's autobiography or books like that? Okay, about George Mueller's life. One of the main characteristics that stands out to me is his simple life of faith, prayer and faith. I mean, the work is incredible. We could go back and how many orphanages and how many children were helped and so how many meals were provided, you know, over the course of that. Three solid meals a day, every day for the length of every one of those orphanages. How did that get met? He never had a fundraising campaign. He, he never went out and said, you know, to some workers, y'all take care of everything out here. I'm going to go raise some money. And I'm not ridiculing if that would be some other way that God would lead somebody to do it. His life simply was prayer. He would go into prayer having no agenda of his own. He would go into prayer seeking to know the will of God. And there's a couple of specific many specific ones but one specific one a testimony sticks in my mind about they they had no money and they had no food one night and breakfast was rolling around for the next morning I mean that's how he lived I mean all these mouths to feed and here it is you know the 11th hour kind of thing and there's nothing there's no money and there's no food there's no money to go buy the food. And here the click clock's ticking. We feel so tick, 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 and we feel like we're under pressure. I do a lot of times. He prayed. And he said, Lord, I know you've called me to do this work. And these children need food. You are going to send it. Well, while he's praying that, the other wonderful prayer warriors that prayed with him, God is preparing somebody's heart out there. He didn't call him. He didn't write him a letter. Didn't drop by his house and saying, write this man, George Mueller, a check for this much. He needs it right now. You know, and, and here it comes. And guess what? Breakfast showed up. Everybody was fed. God supplied all of our needs and his needs according to his riches and glory. God's work carried on God's way will never lack God's resources. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. So I want to I bring this on uh, just real quickly to a close. And, and we'll read these last few verses. Now, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Simply the only thing I want to say from this is that Paul was quick to give God the glory. It's a simple thing, but it's an important thing. And I don't think it's always just tagging on the phrase, you know, oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. 
But I think genuinely he's given the glory to God. We see that from his life. And we see that in this epistle. Salute, salute, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. So there are Christian brothers around him. Probably many that he had won to the Lord himself. And this is very interesting. Look at verse 22. All the saints salute you. So Paul was not alone. He might have been alone as the only Christian when he got there. But he wasn't at this point. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Have you ever read that? Have you ever let your mind just kind of wander on that for just a little bit? He's, Nero was the Caesar at that time. Every, I guess you would say, emperor of Rome from Julius Caesar on was called Caesar. All right? Nero was, was the Caesar or the emperor of Rome at this time. If you know anything about Nero, he was one of those most cruel, wicked uh, men. And yet, Paul is saying, I got brothers that are saluting you. They're greeting you from Caesar's household. It's just amazing to think about how Paul, Paul's in prison and in chains, he says, he says, wherein I suffer trouble in Second Timothy, when he's about to be martyred, second stay in the prison, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. We can never forget that. People getting saved in prison by a prisoner who's there because he's serving Christ. It could have been uh, just I read a bunch, five or six different commentaries on this. Nobody knows who the saints were. We don't know. We don't know who they were. It wasn't Nero, okay, but it was Nero, people in Nero's household. Who could it have been? It could have been soldiers. It could have been guards that were around him all the time. Next day, they'd come back and take their turn, and Paul's not wasting his time in prison. He made good use of his time. He wasn't just languishing in prison until he was released. He was serving the Lord Jesus Christ while he was there, obviously. So it could have been soldiers. It could have been uh, people in Caesar's household. Okay, it could have been some of his servants. It couldn't, like I said, it could have been these, these soldiers that would bring the gospel. They were getting saved and maybe bringing the gospel back into Caesar's household with the other servants or whatever it may have been. It's interesting. We don't know. We know as much as the Bible tells us, but he says, chiefly, there are saints that are greeting you from Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's a wonderful, fitting way for him to close this and we're going to close by just mentioning the grace of God Paul begins he almost always began his epistles with the grace of God and I'll read this from Philippians 1 2 grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ and then he closes the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen and so uh, the grace of God is the beginning of salvation the grace of God is what we continue in. We continue in the grace of God, and the grace of God is going to lead us all the way home to heaven. It's God's grace. It's not hyper grace. It's biblical grace. It's real grace. It's wonderful grace. It's amazing grace. It's everything the Bible says it is. Amen? It's not a license to sin. It's the grace of God, the unmerited favor. It's the supernatural enabling of God in a life. Amen? To do in, in and through and for those that trust him and so all believers problems every believers problems that we have in life 
are sufficiently met by God's eternal grace. He does meet our need. He is our sufficiency. Amen. I want to close with this, this verse. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts 4.33. Peter and John had been persecuted early on and beaten and let go. And they went back and rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. The Holy Ghost fell upon them again. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Amen. So we're just going to close tonight with that. The chains were still on Paul's wrist, but his spirit was free. His spirit was free. We might have chains on our bodies because of sickness and limitations and in a wheelchair, or confined in the home and so forth. I, I don't say that I could handle that. I think through God's grace, I could handle that. And we all could. He was bound in prison physically in chains, but his spirit was freed up. He was not a prisoner. He wasn't a slave to sin, and God used him like he's used no one else, practically, uh, to bring this gospel. D, you can come. We're going to close with that. And, y'all, next week we've got a, a new study that we're going to start that I'm very excited about. Let's close with this. The altars are open. You just want to come, and, and uh, you're needing God to supply your needs. Not just financial, but needs in your life. My God shall supply your needs, amen, according to his riches and glory. Maybe you just want to come thank the Lord. Maybe you just want to come worship the Lord. Maybe you need to repent. You haven't been giving and sowing into the things of God as he would have you to.